0: Women's Cricket Chat. That's Hannah, Georgie, Cassie Mahika and Alex coming up on today's podcast.
1: So today
0: I'm delighted
1: to say we are joined on this episode of Women's Cricket Chat by Andy Tennant, who is the new head coach at the Sunrisers, also former Scotland international and Cricket Scotland women's assistant coach. So Andy, welcome to the pod. Today you're joining me, Georgie and Alex. So just taken up this role and started mid-October. So how's it all going so far?
2: Yeah, great. First of all, thank thanks for having me both. Yeah, it's been great so far. So I think as I've just said to you, I've been in post for about three weeks now. So first first couple of weeks doing sort of remote one-to-ones with the players just getting to know the, the girls and the squads. We've also got a few players who are who are coming and joining us for a few months just to see where we're at, obviously, as a new coach, just looking at the playing stock, et cetera. So, yeah, it's been really good. The welcome's been fabulous. Great bunch, yeah, great bunch of people really looking forward to working with them, lots of talent. So, yeah, I'm I'm super excited.
0: What drew you to the role? Because, obviously, Sunrises was a new team set up when they did the regional restructure, and they've had a bit of turbulence and instability. So, what made you take up the role and how are you going to help provide that stability?
2: Yeah. So I guess all the th- all the things you've just spoken about, Alex, were the things that attracted me to the role. So, so I, the first thing to to be really clear on is I've been I've been looking for an opportunity to work in the women's game for for a little while now, and I kind of dipped my toe in the water, obviously helping out Pete, Peter Ross as as assistant to the women's team. I'd also gone and worked in hockey for a few years as a performance director, and that had really sort of I suppose lit the fire in terms of just understanding the potential of female athletes and how far this can go so from from that perspective I, I was just looking for that opportunity the sunrisers come up I spoke to a few sort of old friends if you like who are working in the women's game and asked them about the project for want of a better word I always hate it when football managers say that so I don't know why I've just said it but but yeah and, and they said look Great bunch of people. You'll enjoy working with them. There's a huge amount of potential there. It's a big region, you know, obviously representing you know, London and the East, if you like, but nine nine counties, three first class, six national counties. So So there's a big talent pool there as well. So I was keen to get my teeth into a big project, and this is one. So lots of opportunities, lots of room for improvement, exciting group of players. So, yeah, what's not to like?
1: And there was a lot of excitement over your sort of, I'm gonna say an in commas vision for the sunrises when you first joined. That was the discussion and the excitement at oh, we love Andy's vision. Could you talk us through what your vision is? I mean, I know it's improving on the results sunrisers might have had so far. That's probably quite near the top of the list. But what else is on there?
2: Yeah, lots, to be honest. But I, I think it's it's that culture of continuous improvement. I don't think there's any magic bullets in professional sport or performance sport. I think it's a combination of hard work, doing the smart, doing things better, doing things smarter, and yeah, just working hard day in day out and and taking you know taking those progressions. So this for me is a, it's a long term project, but th- that's not to say we can't be competitive next year. I don't mean that at all, but but I think we we understand the journey we're on. We're really clear about where we are. We're really clear about where we want to go. We want the Sunrisers to be an entertaining, attacking, successful team, and we're and I think we've plotted that journey out. And I think I, I think the other thing for me is really engaging the player group and the support staff who've been around you know laura marsh had obviously come in last year and i had a long chat with laura about about the good bad and indifferent that, that she saw so yeah just engaging with everyone and just really understanding what we want to be about and then going and making it happen so so yeah i'd, I'd like to think we've got we've got a clear vision of where we want to go and how we want the sunrisers to move forward we're starting I think we weren't starting from the front of the grid. So, you know, coming in and looking at it historically, we weren't one of the six Super League franchises. So us and Sparks were kind of created out of what's left, for want of a better word. That sounds terrible. But so I think I think we were starting somewhere near the back of the grid. So the this, slow this start isn't a, a huge surprise, I don't think. But what we want to do now is we we understand the climate and the environment we're working in, and we just want to push forward really quickly. So, so hopefully I sold a bit of that, Vision and energy to take, you know, to take the thing forward.
0: And what's it been like to work with the players? Because obviously, you've mentioned a little bit, but with the instability that they've had, like, how have they taken to you, and what have training sessions sort of been like?
2: Oh, well, you need to ask them that, I guess. But yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm a pretty open pretty open and honest guy I think so hopefully they'll have taken me as they found me I'm very much about the players owning their own journey so uh, and I'm also very much about us all being in this together so this isn't about you know myself and a, and a small group of support staff dictating to players what we're going to do that's for me that's not how it works so so it's really about just getting us all on the same page in the same place and, and just moving things forward together so so hopefully they'll have seen someone who's who's open enthusiastic who who hopefully has a bit of experience and knowledge who could take this exciting group forward so I hope that's how they find me but uh, you would probably need to ask them Alex.
1: And you've obviously had um, various roles within Cricket Scotland having also played for Cricket Scotland so that's going to boost your CV to, for them in the first place and then with the under 19 women's side but then with hockey as well is that something you can sort of use crossovers from a different sport and then build on that experience that you've already had?
2: Yeah great observation I think Georgie yeah that that was the reason I, I went to hockey because I'd, I'd been working in cricket for a long time i have been working up in Scotland for a long time as well and I, I just felt that I needed to Sort of broaden my horizons a bit. Always, always looking to learn, and I was really keen to work in team sport. So, uh, so ho- hockey was one of the obvious ones. I, I was also keen to work in a Commonwealth and Olympic sport to see how they prepare for me, multi-sport and see how the whole can on more things, are probably more sort of government-driven uh, programs, if you like. So, so I learned a huge amount from there. I learned a huge amount about. Yeah, working with female athletes as well I think so uh, you know there was there was lots of learning in there for me and understanding how rewarding that can be so so I think it it gave me some great learning but it also gave me some inspiration to you know to come away and and try and you know put my skill and expertise to work in the female game and help and help drive it forward
0: and I mean you certainly did that within your five years at scottish hockey oversaw programs like the playground podium pathway the creation of the domestic super series at senior and youth level and the groundbreaking brave performance blueprint and the key initiatives such as the brave academy program could you explain a little bit of the reason behind that and how it all came about
2: yeah so when i went into hockey it was Lots of great people, a huge player base, which is I, I was I was actually staggered at how big the player base for hockey is and how especially in the female game as to how you know well served it is, particularly in the independent schools, but even in, in state schools as well, the, the the size and breadth of hockey programs. So so what, what I saw was lots of great activity, lots of talent, and and probably the structures hadn't quite kept up with the pace of change of of sort of performance sport, if you like, or, or performance development within sports. So so we'd quite a lot of historical structures, sort of old, old style district competitions and things like that that had been run for decades and were still done the same way. So so I think what what I tried to do is bring some of my knowledge and probably professionalism from cricket just to try and overhaul some things because I know cricket Sometimes gets a bit of a hard time for being a traditional sport, but it's actually moved really well with the times. So I think from my perspective, bringing some of that to bear in hockey, hopefully was successful, putting some structures in place around, you know, having that stepping stone between club and international hockey, we, we felt was really important. So having a domestic super series within Scotland was, was, was a priority for us. And also making sure that our player development pathways and our programmes were Uh, were as up-to-date as they could be and sort of cutting edge and making sure that we were we were using all the tools we had at our disposal and all the modern uh, techniques that were available to try and develop what was a real core of talented players and hopefully we've done that and I think we've Especially on the female side, we've got an exciting group of young players. The male side of the game as well in Scotland, there's some real talent coming through as well. And and look, that's I'm not taking credit for that, but the you know, the people who are out there working on the ground can take credit for that. But I think if if you put the structures in place, then that just helps helps the journey move more quickly and gives those players better access to the support they need to be world class. So so I get I guess Taking that and also you can overlay that with, you know, with the Sunrisers, you know, working with Danny and making sure that this isn't just about the, you know, the 18 girls who are playing for the Sunrisers senior team. This is about making sure that our, our academy and our EPP programs and the county age group programs are all, are all benefiting from us being as progressive as we possibly can, which is, you know, one of the values of, of the Sunrisers region is for us to be really, really progressive and do it smarter and better. So that's a big thing for me that we we join we join the whole thing together. And that that was actually one of the things that attracted me when, when Danny Warren, the, the regional director, was sort of selling it to me as well. Was you know, this this is, you know, we were built by our region for our region and, and really keen to develop local players because it's a you know it's a huge marketplace, 10, 11 million people in our region. So, you know, from that from that perspective. It's just really, you know, a really exciting project. So hopefully, I can bring some of that sort of more strategic knowledge as well to to the Sunrisers and help the whole region. Uh, because that would be when I look back after however long I've been here, I would hope that that the whole region's better and not just the Sunrisers team having won stuff.
1: What I love is that there's almost that reflection between, you know, the regional development of the hockey in Scotland and what that does nationally. That's the same kind of thing that's happened with the women's cricket game here. You know, we've got this development of the regional sides and then the extra funding that is being put into it this year. What was it? The increased 3.5 million was just announced this week by the ECB for the regional game. How important do you think that is going forward, not just at sunrises, but in the game as a whole?
2: it's gold dust it's the it's the thing that you know it's it's the petrol for the engine isn't it it's the thing that drives everything forward you know we've got we've got a great product we've got great products great talent you know everything's there but we we need that petrol for the engine to take to take the machine forward and that investment is first of all it's fantastic that the ECB are being proactive and and getting out there and and making those investments so to have 10 full-time pros in the Sunrisers region to have almost 100 now full-time female athletes in in England is fantastic as well so if you you know if you actually sense check back and look at you know 10-15 years ago and where the game is at and you look now it's like it's it's night and day but the the, the money's crucial Uh, so when when I reflect back to my time with Cricket Scotland and the men's game, which was, you know, which was professionalising through the noughties where we went from amateur to, to, to professional, it, it was the same process what the game in Scotland and the associate nations have lacked is that funding to make their players full time and to run programs and competitions that give them access to, to regular competition at the right level. So while they haven't been able to do that in Scotland with the men's game, you know, the women's game in England has that support from the national governing body and has the commercial traction within the game to move things forward. So, you know, that, that is one of the things that that excited me, you know, the, the direction of travel and the sort of exponential growth of, the women's game has has just been been a joy to watch, and and it's it's something you know, I've got I've got a daughter, so it's something that I'm really passionate about. That you know that equality of opportunity to uh you know to be a world class superstar in a, in a, in the best sport on the planet.
1: And you have got Scotland international abtar Maxoud at the Sunrises who we've had on this podcast before. Obviously, plays at Scotland, a very good team, the women's team in Scotland. You know how can we increase the funding and the participation and what they get for Cricket Scotland's women's side because obviously we've seen the men's side recently not quite get through to those Super 12s in the World Cup it's been exciting stuff the traction around them has been amazing and it's obviously come a long way you will have seen that over the years but what we do for the women's side as well I know you're not as involved with that anymore
2: but you've got to have an eye on it I'm sure oh yeah Luke's still still passionate about it um you know I'm, I'm very proud of being you know Scottish and British but yeah so I'm, I'm always keeping an eye on what what's happening there I think that first of all about you know abs is- First of all, she's a superstar human being. So, you know, she's a, she's a great person and she's an extremely talented crypto. And I'm just really looking forward to working with her in a full-time environment to see where her journey can take her. You know, she's a, she's a brilliant role model for so many people out there so that that's a great start but really looking forward to you know trying to take hard game to the next level as well so yeah there, there are there are lots of suits in scotland there are lots of talented young female cricketers as well I, I think the under 19 world cup is brilliant exposure for them so you know hats off to the icc for finally coming to the party with that and and having a you know a women's under 19 world cup to go alongside the the boys under 19 world cup and obviously grace will be going from the sunrisers with the, with, with the england team
1: do you think she and... could catch in that side because i've had an eye on her for a while thinking that and i've spoken to her dad before when at a sunrisers game and she's just got that kind of cricket brain apparently even when she was really young she used to sort of stand by the umpire and get all the you know sort of chatting away to him about this that and do you think she could captain that side potentially? Oh
2: look, she could. Uh, not for me to tell Chris Guest and, and, and Richard Bedbrook how to do their job, but look, she could. She's she's a yeah, she's an incredibly smart cricketer, given you know, given how long she's been on the planet. She would never be shy of a few words. So she's not she's not going to clam up in the dressing room. So yeah, look, she she could captain that side. She's a talented opening batter and an off spinner. I'd probably be keen to it. To let her just do that because she's so good at it. But, yeah, if, if I'm sure if she was asked to captain that side, she would be all over it and she would do a fantastic job.
0: Also, just a little bit on your time back with Cricket Scotland after you left Scotland hockey. I'm just curious to know if you ever got to chat to Sue Strachan at all and, like, run anything past her because we've had Sue on and she's got great visions for Cricket Scotland, but I just wanted to pick your brains on it. And we love Sue
2: yeah what what's not to love about sue she's a smart sporty woman who's a doctor and has got great chat as well so yeah no sue sue's been fantastic and her role as manager with a with with a women's team has been outstanding uh, you know she's she, that pastoral care side of things and she cares deeply about the girls but she also knows sport and she's a competitor so she's been fantastic in that role she was an excellent chair of cricket scotland obviously you know, things things happened up there that I'm sure she was probably pretty annoyed about. Uh, you know, she was almost, I think, left holding the baby when the when the bomb went off a little bit as chair of cricket scotland. So it's a shame that she's not that she's not involved there from that perspective. But I just hope she can keep giving to the women's game because she would have, you know, as as an ambassador and as an an administrator and manager within the women's game she's got so much to offer and i hope she can do that you know whether that's for scotland or icc level or whatever that may be it, it's important that people like sue are are kept in the game because they're such valuable they're such valuable assets and again she, she's just an outstanding human being so it's much easier to you know to do business and to, and to get stuff done with people who are like that
1: and so a bit more about your role having you know played for scotland as well on that link between playing and coaching how easy is it to go from being you know so involved with playing in the men's game to then moving on and coaching in the women's game and how can we encourage more male players and male coaches into the women's game
2: I think that's already happening so so if if you'd asked me 10 years ago if I would want to coach in the women's game the answer would be maybe but probably not whereas you know I I suppose two things have happened one I've been fortunate enough to be involved more and more with female cricketers and female athletes. My daughter started playing. Sadly, no longer playing, but my daughter started playing as well in the kind of in, in the if you like. So, so you start to pay a bit more attention to what the structures and things look like and you just look and think this we can do so much here you know there's so much potential here and when you see an opportunity like that it's hard not to be drawn to it so I find myself just more and more drawn to the to the attraction of the women's game and how it was being played and obviously the skill levels have risen exponentially as well so from a you know from a coaching perspective you look at it and think you know I can I can make a difference here so I it, it almost felt like a I was being drawn in and drawn in and it kind of felt like it feels like a no-brainer in the end that, you know, why wouldn't you? Uh why would not you want to be involved in that? And I and I think a lot of male coaches are starting to and I also think it there's a there's a I think there's a certain type of, of coach who who's more likely to be successful in the women's game. And I think a lot of those guys are starting to migrate towards it because they see the challenges and rewards that working with female athletes brings. And I think they get drawn to that challenge as well. So so I think that process is already starting. I, and to go back to the your first the first point of your question, I guess the the transition from playing to coaching is one that some people make by accident, some people make by mistake, and some people are probably always going to do it. And I I probably felt from the age of. 25 that I was going to coach because you can probably just tell I I was interested in the first of all the the trials and tribulations of being a left arm spinner and 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 trying to make my way and become a professional cricketer which I found incredibly bloody hard if I'm being honest so while being talented so but not as successful as I wanted to be so so actually analyzing my own journey and and my interactions with coaches and thinking, yeah, I really want to do that because I'm interested in how people perform and how people get better. And I also want to make sure that the next generation can have some, you know, not better support and input because I had lots of good coaches. But yeah, we, we keep taking coaching forward and how we help people get better forward. So I probably always knew I was going to go there and it was it was it just felt like a natural continuation to towards the end of my playing career to do more coaching to get involved in coaching and and then to sort of migrate into that as playing finishes coaching starts because if you want to stay in the game you can you can either sit in the boundary and tell everyone how good you were and and, and criticise everyone ad nauseum for 30 years, or you can get stuck in and, and help people get better and move the game forward. And I always felt that I wanted to be the, the, the latter of those two. So I always knew it was coming, but I had great support from from Cricket Scotland you know R- R- Roddy Smith who was the chief executive at the time was always really good at promoting us to get on ECB level three level four coaching programs and they were great learning environments for me uh you know in the early 2000s doing, doing my level three at the old lily Shull with some great people you know Gordon Lord and some some great coach developers and educators who worked in the ECB system and then on to doing the, the level four program which was the best learning experience that, that I've had in my, in my life as you can tell I probably wasn't a great scholar but uh, but yeah it was just a fantastic learning experience so I've, I've been fortunate that I've been well supported and I've had the opportunities to to learn about coaching and then I've had opportunities to see some really good coaches work which as a, as my time as a performance director I really enjoyed watching good coaches at work and as we all know coaching you're probably a bit of a magpie and you just steal stuff from other people constantly don't you so there's no there's no original thoughts anymore so so you just steal stuff that you know is going to resonate with you and you want to use in your coaching practice and i've done that yeah a lot if i'm being honest
0: and having coached in the men's game and in the women's game what are some of the main differences between the two genders
2: a hey, great question so the, the similarities are we're all human we've all got frailties we've all got egos we've all got bodies that break we've all got physical limitations so that you know the the 98 percent of our dna is shared so so there's so there's there's so many similarities so you, you you're taking the vast majority of the knowledge that you have and just just applying it and recognize you're working with an athlete so i think most most of it is the same where there are differences and 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 i would be really keen to highlight that and i I guess what used to happen in cricket was i think working with male cricketers was the norm and then working with females was seen as something different and i think going and working in hockey has taught me that that's not how it is you know you, you have athletes some are male and some are female and there are there are challenges and rewards that are slightly different for working with both genders. And, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm a great believer in that. So, you know, for where female athletes probably need a bit more reinforcement to build self-confidence, that can sometimes be a challenge, whereas the challenge on the male side is, is not building self-confidence, it's getting them to listen to what you're talking about because they, they're off confidence isn't the issue it's actually listening that's the issue but then when you look at a female athlete they're the best listeners in the world and they they're sponges and they want to learn and, and there's so much more so much more receptiveness to, to coaching and and to and to being coached i think that just makes it a much more rewarding enterprise if, if i'm being honest so so there there are pros and cons on 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 both sides of it on both sides of it but the, there are just difference is wise and psychology-wise, I guess. opportunities in the women's game and the runway we have to make this thing better is is so much longer at the moment and so much more fruitful that I'm just excited to be part of the women's game.
1: And what's your favourite aspect of coaching the women's game?
2: My favourite aspect... That's another great question, Georgie. My favourite aspect of coaching the women's game. I yeah, I think I probably just said. It. I think the the receptiveness of the athletes and the lack of ego around getting better. I think it feels like you're as a coach. I'm working in a receptive space. You know where where there's a real thirst for learning because I think we we know a lot of a lot of female athletes don't have the they don't have as they don't have as many miles on the clock in terms of cricket played as some of their male counterparts. You know, when when boys have been playing an under eight, under nine hardball cricket all their lives and have been playing 40, 50, 60 games a year, a lot of the female athletes don't don't have those miles on the clock yet. So so actually the 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 learning journey is is much more condensed, but but actually but, so there's more information we can get in there and there's more learning we can do. So, again, it, it feels like there's there's lots to go at. So, again, that's an exciting thing for a coach, you know, rather than just having a you know, a 17, 18, 19 year old male athlete who's 95% of what they're going to be and you're just tinkering around the edges with some, you know, poly, polishing some rough edges. You know, with female athletes, there's, there's, feels like there's more to work with, which is great. And yeah, so, so that, that's probably it, I think. Uh, that receptiveness and, and lack of ego and just willingness to learn is probably the, the most fun for a coach.
1: And on that topic of willingness to learn, you've got quite a young side at the Sunrises. Do you think that's something that is is good for you, you know, coming in as a new coach? You've got these youngsters who really have that willingness to learn. They want to grow. You've obviously got a few of the the older ones in there, Captain Kelly Castle, who we've also had. You've no longer got Naomi Dutani, who's moved on. We don't yet know at the time of recording where she's gone yet, but I'm sure we will all find out soon. But it must be quite exciting to have sort of a young group of sponges and you can see their potential?
2: Yeah, I'll I'll be honest. One of the things that attracted me to the job is, you know, working with young players and helping them get better and building something. Uh, Now, we're not building it from scratch because we've got, you know, club and county age group coaches who've done fantastic work. We've got, you know, a great academy system with Luke Pomfret and quite a successful academy system who are used to winning games with some dynamic young you know players coming through that system you know i've, I've been fortunate enough to work with molly barber smith again uh whose whose parents are scottish and she's scottish eligible but is, is in our is in our academy program now so so i see the talent that's coming through and think that's it's, again it's just a great opportunity to to help young female athletes be the best they can be and be professional cricketers and have a you know have a, a long and healthy future in the game so so yeah that that is exciting uh we, we've also got some good experience there as well though you know with, with people like kelly and, and joy gardner and, and maddie who's had england experience so we and, and cords as well cordelia griffith so we, we we've got some good experience there as well but we have a we have a core group of young players that are going to get better and better and better and if we can help just you know build that you know build the jigsaw puzzle that makes the successful cricket team then uh then yeah we'll be flying and hopefully flying for years to come
0: and you mentioned earlier that you had an interest in spin or you played as a spinner what advice would you give to someone starting out who wanted to give spin a try
2: yeah so first of all give it a try uh it, it's 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 easier on the body so you'll have a longer career uh, that, that i can i can assure you of yeah so it Again, it's probably the most challenging and rewarding aspect of the game of cricket. I think is spin bowling because you you don't have you know you don't have that pace to pin the batter to the sight screen or conquer them with fear. It's it, it's definitely a more it's definitely a more subtle art that takes a bit longer to to master. But I would I would encourage patience. But I would encourage young bowlers just to give it a spin. Spin the ball. Get it up and down. Spin it hard. Hit the top of off and. Uh, and we'll be fine and just yeah just give, give it a go because you, you never know what's for you whether it's spin bowling whether it's pace bowling whether it's you know being a medium pacer or a wicket keeper you never know but I, I would encourage young girls to give it a go because I think the, the game is definitely moving in a direction where aggressive spin and aggressive pace in the women's game is going to start to dominate a little bit more and I think that the kind of middle ground of medium-paced bowlers who who get it down there, there there's always going to be there's always going to be a place for them in the game but I, I think that space will shrink as more young Izzy Wongs and, and Freya Kemps and Lauren Bells and quick bowlers come through and more Charlie Deans and Maddie Villiers and Sophie Eccleston start to appear as well that I think the space for that kind of I hate to use the word military medium because that's unfair. Because a lot, a lot of those medium pace bowlers are very skillful, but I think they will get squeezed. So, so give spin and pace a try and uh, and see where it takes you. Do
1: you think spin has become cool these days?
2: It's always been cool, Georgie.
1: Oh, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> no. in, okay, oh, yeah, look, it, has been cool no, it in, has. in the women's game. It may have always been cool in the men's game, but it's, yeah. it's quite the, the thing now.
2: I, yeah, I think so. I think so. Uh, it it's. It's a way to be successful in the, in the women's game. Certainly, to to this point, you know, good quality spin bowlers in the women's game are extremely difficult to play. And I think as as they continue to improve, I think as spin rates go up and and we we start to to physically prepare our young spin bowlers better, they're going to get more revolutions on the ball and are going to become even stronger. But the other side of that arms race is we now have female cricketers who hit the ball much harder and who are now starting to whack it out of the park and hit the ball straight back down the ground. So, so spinners are becoming challenged. So I I think it's where the, it's probably the front line of where the game is at the moment around that, you know, we, we've had quick bowlers around for a while now, and people are pushing those boundaries at 75 plus miles an hour, which is great. But I think where the front line is, is that, you know, spinners improving against batters, who's aggressive, Skill sets are improving significantly. You know, when you when you watch players now, especially moving laterally to you know to combat the lines that spinners bowl, uh, I think is. It is something that's starting to has started to emerge in the women's game over the last couple of years with franchise cricket so so I think it's just moving really quickly and it's just really exciting you know who who's gonna who gets ahead in that arms race between aggressive batting and and you know binners with great variety
1: so I just wanted to touch on you mentioned the franchises and the growth of that and what that's doing to impact the game I wanted to know what your kind of opinion on that obviously we've had the emergence of the 100, the women's big bash is currently going on, the ever-tentative but probably happening, but we think happening, but not yet confirmed, women's IPL, the women's PSL, the women's CPL, and then the likes of someone like Deandra Dottin, who's actually left international cricket completely just to play franchise. It's great that we've got all this, but people leaving international maybe not that great, but what's your thought on the growth of women's domestic and franchise cricket and what that's going to do going forward?
2: Oh, there we go. Oh,
1: and not forgetting, obviously, Fairbreak, because we know what Fairbreak means to me. And that's where I met yeah. my new best friend Sue. So Yeah, well, Luke, fair, fair
2: break, I look, fair Fairbreak, and I can only speak from, you know, Scotland women playing against Fairbreak this this year in Edinburgh. Just how good a concept. Fair break is and and the opportunities that, that it's giving players and, and Sonali Patel being a classic example of you know an English player but you know Marika Hills and and people like that who are, who are getting that opportunity to show how show how good they are so so first of all great great concept which is to be applauded so yeah that that certainly would would be a, a big tick for fair break and, and what they're doing for the women's game especially when you look at associate world and the opportunities it's giving female athletes in countries that, that don't have that great cricket tradition so i, I think that that is brilliant I, in terms of franchise cricket, I, th- I think franchise cricket is good for the women's game because I, I my sense is that it it will allow players to play more, it will cross-pollinate ideas, it will create more female superstars in the game if the franchises are done well. Whereas the, the men's game, it almost feels like we're squeezing whether it's the 100 or the CPL or whatever international franchise league, it feels like we're squeezing it into an already overcrowded schedule with players who are already overplayed. So I, I would suggest that franchise cricket is more of a challenge for the men's game than it currently is for the women's game. I think what the women's game will have to do and should keep an eye on is the amount of franchise cricket and the primacy of international cricket and making sure that the international cricket remains the pinnacle. So as, as you say, for a, for a Deandra Dutton to to, I suppose, now do the same as a lot of West Indian, of our West Indian male counterparts have done and said, well, actually, I don't want to play for the West Indies. I'm going to go and play franchise cricket because that's where there's more money and it's probably a more enjoyable experience. Then she's quite right to do that. But we as a sport need to make sure that playing international cricket and playing domestic cricket within your own country remains the most attractive option for especially talented young female players. So I, I, I think... It, is it good for the women's game franchise cricket yes but do we need to make sure that we don't make some of the I wouldn't call them mistakes but but get ourselves into some of the pickles that the men's game is getting in around scheduling with franchise opportunities uh, and and whether there's a whether there's a smart way that we can we can make sure that there are there are a number of pinnacle franchise competitions that are uh, that are seen as almost the premiership of franchise competitions, and the best players in the world migrate towards them. in, in two or three windows, you know, you've obviously got the Hundred, you've got the Women's BBL, and potentially an IPL coming on stream, which will be a it will be a must play one if they do anything like the Men's IPL. So, so you can already see that there's three, maybe four sort of premier franchise competitions. But then, can we have you know franchise competitions below that that allow? The players who are currently getting opportunities with Fairbreak to 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 get exposure, so so almost a kind of a, a development phase of of franchise competitions, where emerging young players from associate worlds and wherever can uh, can then go and and play in those franchise competitions, and and they might happen at the same time, uh, or might happen at a very similar times. So, I, I, I don't know, I'm I'm talking out loud, but I can't help but think there's some learning take from the way the men's one has in an unregulated way because of private investment just happened and stuff just keeps springing up. And then we we need to keep making holes in the international calendar for it. Almost feels like the men's game is going down a route where it'll be like football, where there'll be international windows in a franchise calendar, which for me is the wrong way around. So yeah, good for the game, but we do need to keep an eye on the volume and quality of it.
0: And Georgie, you obviously mentioned earlier about Scotland doing well in the T20 qualifiers and just falling at that last hurdle. And we've seen on the women's side last September, Scotland women beat Ireland women in the T20 Cup qualifiers. Do you think we'll ever see a tri-series between England, Ireland and Scotland? Because obviously next year, England are set to play Ireland women. And it's something that is sort of there on the men's side, but it seems to be predominantly India, Australia, New Zealand. So do you think we could ever see like a British tri-series?
2: Yeah, you you would hope so. I think look, when I was performance director for Cricket Scotland, I was always trying to, to make that Things like that happen, you know, when we, we did things in the men's game, like the North Sea Pro Series and, you know, competitions where the Irish and the Dutch and ourselves would play Tri Series. I think if, if I'm being honest, I'm sure England has ambitions, you know, elsewhere. And they. I feel that England sometimes looked at these things and say, well, yeah, it would be a nice to do, but actually... If somebody's offering me, you know, an A-series against Australia in Australia for two months or a tri-series against Scotland, Ireland and the Netherlands and an ICC Europe 11 or fair break, then it's not a difficult choice for them. So, I, I yeah, I would like to think that would happen, like a, a, a UK four nations or a or a European Four Nations would happen, and I think for developing England players, and I know the England A program is getting bigger on, on the women's side. I think there's a, a games against Australia next year, alongside the Ashes, which I think will be fantastic. So, so I think even for for young England players, an like England what was the academy or an England A team playing against Scotland and Ireland, and and potentially the Netherlands, I think would be a good quadrangular, and I think would would probably be pitched about pitched about right. So yeah, and I and I think you know with, without speaking for Scotland, I think more exposure to competition against the English domestic teams for the Scotland women's team would would be good because I know they they valued the the, the county programs that they used to play, in, albeit I think they were playing at a level that, that they could probably have played at a higher level than that. So I think I think those types of exposures on on you know for Ireland, for Netherlands, and for Scotland, uh, I, I think. Can only be good, and and we can already see, you know, Irish players, Gab, Gabby Lewis, you know, Orla Prendergast, you know, some of some of the Irish players, you know, Kim Garth who unfortunately went to Australia, We've had Lee Casbrick who's gone to New Zealand, etc. Kirsty Gordon who's gone to England, etc. So so yes, yeah, stopping that drain to other countries and allowing, giving those countries the opportunity, I think, is something I'd be passionate about because there just isn't enough cricket. You know, the men's the men's team fell short in the T Twenty first phase they hadn't played enough cricket you know they, they've they got, they've got there's an outstanding team there of great cricketers you know you look at young guys like Mark Watt and you know George Munsey who waxed it out of the park and and you know some of the young players who are coming through and some of the guys who've been there for a while they just haven't had the volume of cricket so you know, Scotland had two T20 internationals leading into the T20. That's all they played in the last year. So you can't you can't expect to be in a rhythm and to perform at your best when that's the, the only opportunities you've had. So they, they were kind of, they were never beaten before they started because they gave a great account of themselves beating the West Indies. Should have nailed Ireland and didn't. And that's what's betting us on the backside, isn't it? You know, as not closing out that game against Ireland or we'd be in the Super 12. And in the women's side, very, very similar, are, you know, the preparation phase. I was assistant to Peter, the preparation phase. If it wasn't for fair break and playing Ireland just before the T20 prep phase, we would have played no cricket over the summer. So it's very difficult to go in and compete against countries that are playing, not necessarily week in, week out, but have got, you know, big, big fixture programmes when you're, you know, you're, you're surviving off scraps. And, and that's that's really, really difficult. That, unfortunately, is Scotland's reality. Probably Netherlands' reality a little bit as well. Ireland, I've got more opportunities because I'm now a full member. But again, that you know that's for the world game to, to sort out the, the competition schedule and, and decide whether it wants to globalise the game or decide whether it wants to make lots of money for a small number of countries. And I'll step off my high horse at that moment before I get into trouble.
0: No, but it's really interesting what you were saying about domestically and stuff like that because i know there's been rumblings and murmurs on twitter about on the men's side potentially expanding the t20 blast to scotland so what would you think about that and potentially if they're able to expand the hundreds to say scotland because we've got a welsh side but we don't have a scottish side
2: yeah fair fair point fair point yeah look it. I think T20 cricket, we, we've obviously been there before from a Scottish perspective. We'd been there before with the Norwich Union League, CB40, YB40, all sorts of different names, that 40, 45 over competition. Scotland played in it for 10, 11 years, successfully in parts and unsuccessfully in parts. I think T20 would be much more much more attractive, certainly, to Scotland uh, and and would probably be easier for... The counties as well to be going up for a, for a T20 game rather than, you know, a sort of all-day game and staying at both ends. You know, the practicalities of travel for 40, 50 over cricket are different. So I, I think the, the Vitality Blast is, would be a great outlet for, you know, for Scotland Scotland men's team. The 100, I, I don't know, it feels like... Yeah, I I think I think it's a slightly different beast, the hundred. So so whether whether there would ever ever be a Scottish franchise in the hundred, I I don't know the answer to that. But certainly from a vitality blast point of view, I think I think that would be great for, for Scotland. And on the women's side to to have, as I said, having more contact with the with the eight regional franchises, I think, I think would be good. But again, I'm not. Uh, I've stepped away from the strategic side of things and the performance directoring because you know some of those things are when they're out with your control and when you can see what needs to happen and doesn't happen, that can become a big frustration for you. And I know the Irish and the Scots and, and administrators all over the place get frustrated when they, when they see what this game can be if we, if we truly want to globalise it. But uh, the, the leading associate countries probably need a bit more support to do that. And, and take a leaf out of football's book and look at how they've globalised a the game in, in 40 years that is just a cash cow for everyone and not just for you know a few, a few big countries.
1: And so will you be using the ideas of the likes of Mark Watt and sending your bowlers out with pieces of paper? We <laughs> just see the yeah. bowlers heading out and whipping these bits yeah. of paper out, But like, okay, Yeah,
2: bye. yeah. All, all I can say is if Mark Watt had a piece of paper, it must have had big writing on it. So uh yeah, no, like no Mark Mark is Mark is an incredibly talented uh, game player because he he by his own admission w- would admit he's not the biggest turner of the ball but he's probably just about the smartest game savvy spin bowler that i've seen and he's always he's a br- brilliant kid i've known him since he was 13 14 and, and he's always been willing to experiment with different things and and play around with stuff to make himself as elusive as possible if you like uh which makes his skill set eminently suited to t20 cricket you know his 23 24 yarders his his caram balls his leg breaks because he started off as a left arm leggy originally so it came quite naturally to him and, and he yeah but it just shows you what you know what is possible all over the planet so uh, but he, he's a great example of someone who's who, who's now finding his feet through exposure, you know, that that exposure probably could have happened four or five years earlier for him, but he got his opportunities at Derbyshire. He's done well there. I know he's thriving under Mickey Arthur, who, who he loves as a coach and, and really enjoys the Derbyshire environment, seems to be a, a real close good group of people down there so he's loving that and I just hope he now gets the rewards he deserves and plays in the BBL or the IPL and and, and, and actually makes the you know I suppose makes the living he deserves out of the game because he, he's worked he's worked his backside off and he he's a top lad as well.
1: Reflecting on that just if we bring it across to the women's side of things I guess things like the 100 have done the same sort of thing we've seen the likes of you know we always talk about the first year of the 100 it sort of springboarded Alice Capsey into the world's awareness and now she's absolutely flying literally flown over to Australia and is bossing out <laughs> playing in England that shows just how important these franchises are for not necessarily just associate players but young players coming through and the evolution of their career doesn't it
2: yeah and, and that's where I think when we were speaking earlier about the you know, about the benefits of the 100 and franchise cricket in the women's game. You know, when you look at someone like an Izzy Wong who went over and played Big Bash and then all of a sudden is playing the 100 and then makes a test debut. And, you know, the, the, the rise is almost meteoric. But, you know, Izzy's been at, at that for a while, but she, she just now has the platform to to show the skills that she's got, as do many, many young players. And I'm hoping, you know, people like Grace will follow that and be the, and, you know, be the next raft of players who play in a women's IPL and, and who star in the, the, the Big And and make their name there, because I think that exposure is is all the girls have needed, isn't it? Just to give them that inspiration to say, you know, I can I can be this, I can be a superstar in this sport, and just the difference the difference that that creates. And I. I can't share the lived experience of a, of a young female athlete who's 17, 18, 19, but it must be so exciting at the moment to think, wow, I can make a living out of this and I can probably make a lot of money moving forward as well. And I can be, you know, I can be a superstar like, you know, my heroes who were probably previously Serena Williams and, you know, tennis players and and, and people like that. Are.
1: We had Sophia Smail on, we just released her podcast this week and actually her hero growing up was
2: Serena Williams. Yeah, and, and look, a, a few a few of the girls that I've spoken to you, they speak about Jessica Ennis-Hill, Serena Williams, that, you know, those those role models have come from other sports. But now the 17-, the 18-, 19-year-olds start to talk about Charlotte Edwards and Nat Sever and, and and people like, you know, Beth Mooney. So that that's changing, which is great, because those female role models are now there for this generation coming. And it, wouldn't it be great if, you know, if Grace Scribbins and Izzy Wong and, and Lauren Bell are... are are those people that, that 18, 19 year old girls are talking about in seven eight nine years time about they inspired me to get involved in the game so that just shows how the you know the runway the runway we've got in the women's game and the tra- the traction and what's potential the potential we have
1: and you mentioned <coughs> Charlotte Edwards who obviously England legend but heads up the Vipers, who quite often are the team to beat, you'll be taking her on this year. Are you excited for the idea of you know the coach matchups now as well?
0: Yeah,
2: you know I haven't really thought about that too much because it's yeah I mean the coaches don't bat and bowl so yeah we obviously we want to put competitive sides out and we we do look at, at matchups and are trying to think each other but. I think for me, it's it's giving giving and supporting the girls to get the information and the skills they need to go out and take on what is a very good side. And you know, Vipers have been have been a powerhouse, and if there is such a thing in the in the women's game for a few years now, they've got a you know they've got a fearsome bowling attack. Charlotte has surrounded herself with lots of good cricketers down there. So from that perspective, they they are a bit of a yardstick. You know, there's someone they're they're a team that. The other teams aspire to beat, and we're the same as that. But I think I'd be much more focused on getting our our young female athletes prepared to to take these girls on and show what they can do. And that will be the satisfaction. And I'm sure uh, Charlotte and I will shake hands and have a chat at the end of the game. So,
1: yeah. And so bringing it back to you and the Sunrisers, um, you're starting to get to know the girls and the players and the squad around that. What's the next step? So we're recording this beginning of november so it must be coming back into sort of winter training and that what's next for you and the sunrisers
2: yeah so we're we're in a kind of a bit of a physical block at the moment so the the girls finished Towards the end of September, I've had three, four weeks off to go and recharge the batteries, let the body and the mind rest a bit. So lots of people have been away on holiday, but we're now back in. So we we had a welcome back day last Sunday, of Halloween weekend, where we kind of connected as a as a group. So we had the the vast majority of the the players in. At the University of Hertfordshire, uh, at the, the sports campus in there. So, and we, we're now in a physical training block where the group will train three, four times a week through November. And we, we will start again at Finchley in the indoor centre in December, where we'll do a sort of uh, a technical development phase through December and January, and then get into hopefully outdoors at Merchant Taylor's, you know, pre season for six weeks, pre season through late February into March. And then get into pre-season preparation in April to kick off the Rachel Hayhoe Flint trophy on, I want to say, 21st, 22nd of April, something like that. So so we've got some distinct phases that we now work through to get the team prepared and, and you know, part of that is upskilling individuals and, and just making sure we're really clear about taking people's games forward, technically, tactically, physically, mentally, but also then bonding that the group to put that jigsaw puzzle that I talked about earlier and, and, and put that together so we're giving the players real role clarity on and, and what's being expected of them as well. So as we roll up to the season, things become more specific and look much more representative to the game. And then once we get outdoors, we crack on and just really excited to to move towards a, a new season a new summer so and a new opportunity for us to win lots of games of cricket so more more cricket this year for for the women's teams which is great and and just more opportunities to play so yeah just re- really excited about moving through those phases and can't wait for late april already
1: Yeah, it must be an exciting time for you, you know, just getting started. You can get your teeth into a new squad, a new team. You get your new kit, your new stash, and that Sunrises kit is really nice. So we'd take that as well. Yeah, we we like that, the sort of stripe, the T20 one. I love a bit of that. So it's really exciting. Yeah, it's really nice. I'm not sure about some of the others. I mean, the Scotland kit, though, that purple. I don't know how you feel about it being purple, but everyone loves that one. That was a nice one.
2: No, quality. No, a very very Scottish colour, purple as well. Okay, we'll take that. Yeah, no, it's a great kit.
1: Yeah, so an exciting time for you, all the, the fresh new shiny things, names learning, all that kind of stuff to come from us. But we do like to sort of round off podcasts with a few quick fire ones, just a bit more fun ones. kind of hoping maybe some of them are a bit different because of the Scottish heritage. So I'm going to kick off with one of our favourite. What is your favourite item at a traditional cricket tea?
2: Cricket teas have given me a love for salad. So I do love salad sandwiches. So it'd probably be a coronation chicken salad sandwich, you would say.
1: Okay, fair. Uh, Do you have tablet at Scottish cricket matches at tea?
2: No, but we should because tablet is one of God's great inventions.
1: And that is like ultimate energy, isn't it? You know, you, energy boost. It is, you yeah, might as well just, just go and get a spoon yeah. and instead of putting the sugar yeah. in your tea. You just yeah.
2: like... Why Scotland's top of the heart attack, capital of Western Europe?
1: Will you be celebrating Burns Night, which is coming up soon, isn't it?
2: That's well, January. So we've got St. Andrew's Day on the th- 30th and then burns night is 25th of january so yes i do and i love haggis
1: and please tell me you're gonna like rock up to all
0: the events for
1: sunrises in a kill.
2: formal events absolutely maybe not training but formal events yeah.
0: other than haggis what is your favorite scottish dish
2: tandoori chicken makhni masala from the from the taj and prestwick yeah i love Ind- i love indian foods and the the heritage of Indian cooking in Scotland is strong, so that would be that would be my second favorite. But good old, I don't know if you you don't have square slice sausage in England, do you? So sausage it's actually a square or a rectangle. So square slice sausage is like one of the ultimate delicacies.
1: Sounds a bit like spam, if you ask me.
2: No, 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 no much better, much better. I'll, I'll bring you some down, Georgie.
1: Can't wait. That's good. If not cricket, what would you have done? What would you would have wanted to do?
2: You know, it was always sport. My ambition when I was at school, which shows you how academic I was, to be able to wear a pair of shorts to work was my ambition at school. So I've managed that. So, yeah, I don't really know. I, I probably would have been in sport somewhere because I, I, I love sport. My background was in building, so my dad owned a building business, so it would probably be in property development or something like that. I love nice property and seeing inside nice houses and good architecture. I, I love that, so yeah.
0: Favourite genre of music?
2: Eclectic, very eclectic. I can go all the way from sort of 70s hippie, James Taylor, Carole King, country and western, the Eagles type, with Mac stuff to Scottish it. indie bands. I like some dance music as well. So, yeah, I'd, I'd love, yeah, I love everything, to be honest. I actually really enjoy, I think, music at the moment. A lot of people have kind of my vintage, shall we say, give modern music a hard time but actually i think the deregulation of it and not having to be signed by a record company means there's just so much different stuff out there i think it's great just listening to lots of i I listen to all my kids music as well now so i i I got a liking for an australian band called team impala yeah so i listen to a lot of my daughter's music as well so yeah I, I, i like all sorts
1: favorite sledge you've ever used or heard
2: probably couldn't repeat it on air to a mixed audience or to any audience never mind a mixed audience yeah i don't know to be honest Played against Australia and got yeah probably Jason Gillespie said lots of things to me that aren't repeatable and probably aren't very politically correct. But I actually quite enjoyed a bit of banter. But again, we need to be careful with that, now, don't we? Because it's uh, yeah, where the line in the sand feels like it's in a different place from where it was before. So uh, so I wouldn't encourage sledging. I I was I was actually always big on on a. a teams the teams that I played in and coached being really noisy and really aggressive but in a kind of positive way that was about us rather than the opposition so yeah I mean some, some of the stuff Tim Payne's sledging and from behind the stumps I thought it was quite quite amusing at times in some of the recent Ashes series but
0: yeah favorite musician
2: Paul Weller can you reel reel
1: Kaylee, reeling, Scottish dancing. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. I can do it. Yeah. yeah. Will you
1: be introducing it to the girls at Sunrises? We may
2: well do some Scottish country dancing, yeah. I would think okay, so. Okay.
1: And can you make sure it's videoed, please? Definitely not. I would love <laughs> yeah. to see a Sunrises Kaylee. That would be such a fun, fun event.
2: That could could happen. We've got up myself, her is a very passionate Scot as well. So yeah 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 so yeah it could happen
1: okay we're so coming i'm gonna have to dust off my reading skills which were never very
2: no you'd have an invite for that
1: last netflix or tv series you binged or just watched
2: i love game of thrones so gangs of london's just started again season two so i I, i'd like yeah gangs of london was good ozark I really liked. Lockdown was a killer for, I, I, I binge watched everything. I haven't got into Peaky Blinders. My son tells me I have to watch Peaky Blinders and Breaking Bad. I haven't managed them yet, but I'll hopefully get to them. So yeah, I do, I do like a, a Netflix binge.
1: Well, I think I'm probably out of questions and I need to go and practice my reeling if I'm going to come to the sunrises. cave. Do,
2: practice your I'm dashing work head sergeant in your gay gardens.
1: But Sunrise is reeling. Sunrise is Kaylee, Alex. I'll send you tutorial videos, and we'll get. We're gonna go. That could happen. God, this could be fun. Anyway, we won't keep you that much longer. But before we do go, could you please let our followers know where they can find you on social media?
2: Twitter is probably the place. I'm not blue ticking. I'm not paying Elon any money. But uh, yeah, so at Tenant Spin uh, on Twitter is probably the best place to get me i'm not i haven't i haven't really engaged with insta or be real so far i might get it there but yeah yeah no twi- twitter's my place at tenant spin
1: amazing and obviously we can hear all about what you're up to as well through the sunrises socials too which i'm looking forward to more Just content on Sunrise. there as we kick off the the preseason. i guess it kind of is pre-season <laughs> even though it feels like the other one hasn't ended yet thank you so much for joining us on women's
0: cricket chat
2: Brilliant. Look forward to it too. Thanks very much for having me, guys.
0: Massive thank you to Andy for coming on and being a guest on the podcast. It's really, really cool to hear his vision for the sunrises, and we wish him and the team the best for the 2023 season. It's also really interesting to see how he wanted to coach in the women's game, and he got that experience, and he was looking for a team to. Just sort of start from the ground up and mould into a consistent winning team. So it's really cool to hear about all of that. And to all our listeners, if you want to keep up to date with everything that we're doing, you can follow us on Twitter at WCricketChat on instagram at women's cricket chat and if you want to give us a like on facebook we are women's cricket chat if you'd like to give our personal twitters a follow then it's at hannity 1194 at georgia heath 27 at cassie coombs 98 at mehika barshni and i'm at alex jane Ferrer. this has been the women's cricket chat tune in next time